Welcome to Season 1, Episode 27 of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley, and I serve as the pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. Along with me today, as always, is my co-host, Patrick Reed. He's a pre-filled missionary with ABWE. He's on deputation trying to get to the Gambia in Africa to reach the Wolof people with the gospel. He also serves on the pastoral staff here with me in Herlock. How are you today, Patrick? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Have we uh, have we bumped our percentage of support up since l- the last podcast? Uh, I don't remember what it was at the last podcast, but uh, we're at, we're at ninety five percent. Okay, so we are nearing the the uh, the finish line of this stage, uh, and nearing the start line of the next stage. So yep, super exciting days. Yep, he's uh, he's hoping to be out of here by March. Lord willing. We'll see what happens. Y'all can pray for us here at Grace as we try to figure out exactly uh, what direction we need to take uh, in finding a replacement for Brother Patrick. And then joining us today for our discussion is a gentleman who I've actually only met one time, as best I recall. I heard him preach at a men's prayer breakfast earlier this year. At least I think it was this year. The coronavirus pandemic has uh, messed my memory up even worse than it already was. I got connected with him on social media after that. This is evangelist Philip Skipper. He's a member of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Plainwell, Michigan, but he lives in Brook, Indiana. Brother Skipper, welcome to Grace or Grit. How are you today? Brother, I'm doing very, very well. And uh, yeah, we met we met last year. <clears throat> excuse me. It was probably September of last year Okay. at that men's prayer breakfast, and I, I remember our encounter distinctly, so... It's good to good to meet you. Good to have connected with you, and brother, I'm uh, just glad to be on the podcast with you guys today. Well, I'm excited about it as well, and hopefully, this will be something God will use to be a blessing to our listeners. For the sake of our listeners, some who may not know you, take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to know the Lord, your ministry, and so forth. All right. Well, I am uh, I am 58 years old. I'll uh, I'll mark that 59th year of my life here if I live to the 5th of December. And uh, that was somewhat questionable just a short time ago. But uh, anyway, I was, I was, uh, came to Christ in May of 77. And uh, oddly enough, uh, felt like God was calling me to preach just a couple of months after that and surrendered to that call. So <clears throat> as a 15 uh, year old boy, I uh, kind of set my career track that I had been planning on a side and started endeavoring to follow the Lord in whatever direction he led me really originally felt like he was leading me into evangelism, but and without going into a great detail, we were in a large church in the Midwest that, uh, that had a very uh, well-known pastor and didn't have evangelists in, but I really felt like the Lord was leading me into evangelism. So I uh, finished my high school, went to college and then, uh, God led me to start a church up in Northern Michigan. We pioneered a church there in 1987 and were there for about three years and turned that work over to another man. That, that church now is on its third pastor and thriving, doing very well in a very uh, Northern remote area of Northern Michigan. From there, the Lord led us to, uh, to a church down in the state of Missouri. And we were there for 13 years and helped pioneer another church Uh, down in the state of Texas that did not make it. And uh, then I got a call from a friend of mine that was uh, endeavoring to start a Bible college, uh, again, back up in Northern Michigan. And so our our path, uh, the Lord led us back up there and we helped get that fledgling Bible college started. And I was the Dean of Students and Dean of Men for several years and also Professor of Bible and Preaching. And uh, we, uh, during, during that, part of my responsibility was to put together uh, a schedule, not the music part of a tour group, but the schedule part of a tour group and go out on the recruiting tour. And so we did that for two summers and that kind of led to men asking me to come back and preach meetings for them. And so that's how the Lord launched us into evangelism. And we've been doing that since 2008. That's awesome. Yes, sir. And 
I appreciated the message that I heard from you. Uh, even though I don't remember the substance, I remember the spirit. And I know, Amen. I know, you know what I'm talking about when yes, you hear sir. somebody and you're like, Hmm, this person loves Jesus. And this person loves people uh, and the people of God. This person loves the scripture. I identify with this, right? Amen. And uh, by the way, my father was a church planting missionary as well. And the Tennessee Valley, me growing up, he started three churches and has tried to revive a couple of them. And uh, so not not experientially, you know, I haven't started a church, but I, I grew up watching him do it. And uh, he was bivocational. It was a lot of work. And I yes, sir. have an admiration for those who, uh, who God calls to do that kind of work. Well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, we'll get a little bit more into your experience just because of our choice of topics for today. Today's episode is a result of an experience that uh, Brother Phil has endured. I've entitled this episode, Healthy or Ill. And I've chosen that title because uh, our evangelist friend here contracted COVID-19 back in August, I believe. Correct. And uh, he's still not completely over the impact, at least, of yeah, not, that. So not, 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 by a, not by a long shot, brother. Right. <clears throat> so... Um, you know, we would expect that that a situation like his would be extremely difficult for anyone. But his ministry, his calling, his his career, to use a secular term, uh, his his way of life is he's an itinerant evangelist. And so uh, being trapped because of his medical situation is, uh, at least from my angle, would seem to be very, very hard. So let's walk through this together. I, I hope that this will uh, help us to unveil how God has watched over you through this and maybe encourage our listeners not to live in fear, but to live in faith. That's kind of one of my objectives here. Amen. Um, you know, if I'm a pastor, Patrick's a missionary, you're an evangelist. In some ways, we have similarities in our calling, but there's also a lot of difference. You know, I, I live here on the church property and my salary pop, plops in the in the bank at a regular interval. And I haven't thought about it in years. You know I mean? It, I don't worry about that kind of thing. Patrick of course has to travel around and, and try to um, get prayer support and emotional support and financial support from a variety of churches. And there's always the risk of him, you know, losing church support or individual support. And uh, my understanding is, you know, as evangelist, uh, you're kind of flying one week at a time, you know, what, what, if you preach, you, you, you make a living. If you don't preach, not so much. So just from a financial standpoint, I'm sure your uh, situation looks quite a bit different. Why don't you just take us through you uh, contracting the virus and what it has done to your health, first of all, and then what it has, how it has impacted your, your ministering calling. Okay. <clears throat> well, you know, we, we first, you know, we first experienced the the lockdown that took place, you know, the end, the middle to the end of March, <clears throat> April and May. And we were actually in the, what I affectionately refer to as the people's Republic of Illinois <clears throat> when, uh, when things started locking down. And so we were just a state away from where we call home. And so when I concluded that meeting, I figured it was probably best to get out of Dodge and, and head to, uh, <clears throat> to Indiana and at least get to where we, you know, had, you know, some, some, yet some freedom. And so we did that and, and kind of ground out the, the lockdown. The Lord was very kind to us. There were a number of, you know, a lot of churches canceled meetings for sure. obvious reasons, but some churches uh, still wanted to have the meeting. And so we did it either zoom or <clears throat> a couple of other different formats. And then we got back on the road, things began to open up the end of May. And so we were out on the road, May, June, July, and, uh, and I was preaching a meeting down in Southeastern Ohio, and it was at a church that I had not been to before, but I had known the pastor and, uh, he was a member of a church that I had preached at regularly in the past. And he had taken this church, wanted me to come preach for him. And we had a really good meeting. <clears throat> and, uh, on Tuesday morning, uh, some folks invited us over to their house for breakfast and another couple came that was sick at the time and, and they didn't know that they had COVID. Obviously we didn't know they had COVID <clears throat> and they came for breakfast. And then two days later, and that's what I've learned is 
uh, once you're exposed, it's about 48 hours until you start exhibiting some symptoms of, of the virus. And uh, about two days later on Thursday, when the meeting concluded, I, it wasn't that I felt bad. <clears throat> I just didn't feel right. I usually describe that as my check engine light is on, not flashing, mm -hmm. but it's on. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> I felt the same way Friday. didn't feel any worse. <clears throat> Saturday, we drove to the, the next church where we were holding a revival meeting. And, and uh, my schedule prior to COVID has always been about 42 to 46 weeks a year. And most mm -hmm. of my meetings run Sunday through Friday. Uh, there's the occasional Sunday through Wednesday, but I'd very seldom ever just fill a Sunday unless I have a meeting cancel. And the Lord's been very gracious to give us a, a good full schedule. And, uh, and you're right, brother, uh, brother Dave is an evangelist. You know, we kind of go week to week. I, I know some evangelists that have endeavored to raise support and I just never felt like that was what the Lord would have us do primarily because <clears throat> at the time I had a daughter and son-in-law and three grandchildren that were on the mission field in the Philippines. And so if I was going to raise any support, I was going to raise it for them because they weren't here in the States to raise it themselves, obviously. So, 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 you know, we have kept a pretty full schedule and, uh, I was, I was in that next meeting down in the Southern Indiana area and I had preached on Sunday morning and didn't feel, I didn't feel well. Saturday, we had gone to get something to eat at a local restaurant and I left half my meal on my plate. And uh, for anybody that knows me, that is, that is typically not characteristic of me. I have always been a big guy. I was 11 pounds, 14 ounces when I was born. And uh, my, my, Dad says that the doctor came out of the delivery room and told him that he said, your wife has had a child, not a baby. So <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have always been, I've always been a big guy. And, uh, and so it's not typical for me to leave food on a plate, but I, it just didn't taste just, you know, I just did things didn't taste right. And, uh, Sunday I preached Sunday morning and, and, uh, I didn't do well, but we muddled through and I slept Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. I went back to church and I was probably 10 or 15 minutes into my message. And uh, I'm a pretty energetic for a big guy. I'm a pretty energetic, pretty animated kind of preacher. I don't just stay in one place and stand behind the pulpit and speak in a monotone voice. And uh, I was about 10 or 15 minutes in. And all of a sudden I got that feeling that if you ever have got you know, if you've ever been on the verge of blacking out, you know what I'm talking about. You know, that you've got that momentary window of opportunity where you either sit down voluntarily or you're going down involuntarily. And I knew I was in trouble and I stopped <clears throat> the message and I said, folks, I need to stop. I need somebody to bring me a, a chair and somebody to get me some water. Well, when you do that in a congregation of 200 people, it unnerves folks. Some men came up and helped me and I had a few, few guys pray and uh, just tried to get my bearings and get my head together. And I finished the message sitting down in a chair and then walked out to my motor coach because we live full time on the road and uh, didn't feel good Sunday night. Monday, I thought I'll get up, take a walk and see if this is just some kind of a, you know, 24 hour flu bug thing. And and I, we walked, Barbie and I walked probably a half a mile. We were walking a little incline, coming back to the motor coach and same thing happened. I just got that real faint feeling. And so I canceled Monday night and Tuesday, I realized I needed to get back up home so I could see my doctor and figure out what was going on. And so I drove the motor coach, Southern Indiana, through Indianapolis. And I was up about an hour and a half from the, from where we parked the motor coach when we're up here where my mom lives. And I just couldn't drive anymore. Physically, I was just, I was exhausted. I was, you know, panting like a racehorse that had just run the Kentucky Derby. And so I pulled over, let Barbie drive us the rest of the way. And, and, uh, and I, Tuesday night, my wife got on the phone with, with our five children and my son, my oldest boy has been in the funeral business for a lot of years. And he said, he said to me, he said, dad, he said, I bury stubborn men every week of my life. Yeah. And uh, he said, you need to go into the doctor. Well, I'm, you know, I'm like every other guy, you know, I, you know, sick people go to the doctor. I'll get over this. But I realized I was in trouble. And so I went in to see the doctor and that was the 4th of August. And they immediately admitted me. And, and uh, then the, then the real journey began 28 days in isolation. And, and most of all that in ICU and, and uh, close to death's door for about a week and a half or two weeks and, and uh, 60 days in the hospital and, and, uh, out for a 
couple of weeks, back in for a couple of weeks, been out for three and a half, but a little over three weeks now. <clears throat> so yeah, it's been a, it's been an experience. Well, I thank you for sharing those details because those of us who haven't had anybody in our family who's faced this and we haven't faced it, what people are going through with COVID, at least for me, is still has still been quite a mystery, you know, and I know everybody's yeah. experience is different. Um, but I appreciate you sharing those things. Where are you now? What is your doctor telling you now? I mean, I know you're wearing an oxygen tube right now. Uh, yes, you, sir. Were, you were taking some kind of nebul nebulizer t uh, treatment when I called you the other day. So what, right. what is your health right now? Well, so I went to see my primary care physician two weeks ago, Monday, to just find out, you know, kind of where we're at and what we're doing. Of course, I got a pulmonologist that I'm seeing and so on and so forth. But when I had come up out of Florida, uh, the end of May, I came up with some kind of, I had, I had some kind of an upper respiratory funk going on and, uh, it, you know, it wasn't horrible. It really wasn't impeding anything. I just would get a cough. And sometimes when I was preaching and I was in, you know, in that zone, I would start coughing and, and would have trouble stopping. So, I went in to see him. He sent me across the street to the hospital that I spent 60 days in and uh, got a chest X-ray. And that chest X-ray came back clear. That was that was the end of May, 1st of June. <clears throat> so while I was while I was in the hospital with COVID, they, they X-rayed me pretty much every day. You know, typically you can see the outline of the lung and everything inside is clear. And as things progressed, mine started from the bottom up to start getting very hazy so my diagnosis <clears throat> on the chart is that I have significant pulmonary fibrosis, mm. which means that I have significant scarring in my lungs. And in, in layman's terms, when you look at the interior of somebody's lungs and it's got that spongy, the bronchial tubes and all that kind of stuff in there that's supposed to be soft and pliable, mine has become hard and fibrous, right. which means that it doesn't, it doesn't perfuse oxygen. It doesn't take the oxygen out of the air and get it into your bloodstream, yeah. which is why I'm on oxygen, which is why when I do much physical exertion, like just before, <clears throat> you know, just before we uh, all got together, I went in and got cleaned up for the morning, brushed my teeth, yada, 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 and standing at the sink and doing that for, I don't know, five minutes, seven minutes. Now I come back out and I'm breathing pretty heavy. Yeah. So it's just, it, it has really taken a toll. And again, I had no pre-existing conditions other than I'm 58 and I'm fat, but <laughs> no pre-existing conditions prior to that, you know, no diabetes, no blood issue, no blood pressure issues, nothing. I mean, you know, when I, when I would go in and get a physical and I would see my doctor, the last time I saw him prior to getting sick, he told me when he was looking at my, at my blood work, he said, you know, if I was looking at this blood work and I was looking at a guy that was, you know, 45 and 240 pounds. He said, all these numbers would make sense, but he said, that's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a guy that's 58 and you know, weighs 400 pounds. So, so, you know, the Lord's been good to me. It's not because I've taken excellent care of myself, obviously, but, but uh, the Lord's been good to me, you know, physically, but you know, this is, this has left me with some, you know, with some things that I'm going to deal with the rest of my life, apparently. Yep. Yep. And that's the, and that's the really weird thing about COVID guys is because it affects different people differently. Right. I've got a pastor friend. I just talked to him yesterday because he's in the hospital up in, up in Wisconsin. And he is, he's, I think he's 60. Yeah. He was born in 59. So he's 60 or 61. He is in excellent shape. He could, you know, he could get out and run a half a marathon without, you know, I mean, right now and uh, in excellent shape and, and very physically active <clears throat> and, he, he, he came down with a real bad stomach ache on Friday and bad enough that on Saturday he went into, went into an urgent care and they couldn't figure out anything. So they sent him home. Well, he went back in to the, to the ER on Tuesday because the pain was just excruciating and doubling him over. Although, you know, he preached on Sunday and, you know, worked on his garage and got ready for winter and everything else. Cause that's just kind of guy he is. And they ran a CAT scan. And the doctors have determined that some of the arteries and, and veins that, that feed the intestinal system have constricted because of COVID. Right. And so it's just the, 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 the symptoms and the effects of COVID are so diverse. Right. And, you know, they don't know whether my condition is going to be reversible or not. Typically it's not. 
but again, they don't know about COVID. So probably more information than you wanted, but. No, that's, that's, that's perfect. As you're speaking, it struck me about the apostle Paul uh, and how God said you will be more effective. My grace is, is uh, sufficient and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And of course, it's easy for me to say I'm not the one wearing an oxygen tube, but right, right. who knows how God may even make you more effective and you may be able to do more for the kingdom with wearing a, a hose on your nose than you have ever done before. Uh, so I, I mean that as encouragement. I don't mean to be uh, you know flipping about what you're going through at all. No, I understand, brother. You know, I mean that's one of the you know that's one of the things that I have that I have quite frankly struggled with because. You know, again, I had no pre-existing conditions and I was, you know, I was a healthy guy and I was for a guy my size and my age, I was very active and had a lot going on and was not just a, you know, sit around, do nothing kind of guy. And, uh, and this has really, really impacted my life. Obviously I had to cancel all my meetings for the remainder of 2020 and, and into the early spring of, of 21. And, uh, you know, and I don't, I, I just don't know what the Lord, you know, what the Lord has for us at this point. I don't feel like he is changing the burden and the call that he's placed upon my life. Although, you know, that call to preach, you know, has a lot of ways it can be manifested. You know, you're manifesting it as a pastor, Patrick's manifesting it as going as a missionary. You know, I'm manifesting it as, you know, as being an itinerant evangelist. It's really the same call. It just has different ways. He uses different men to manifest that call different ways. And, Amen. uh, as I heard one missionary that had come off the field, I'm trying to think of his name. He's the missionary that, uh, preached that great message entitled 10 shekels in a shirt. He was a missionary in Africa and, and got sick and came home and people had said to him, said, I thought God called you to Africa. And he said, God called me to follow him mm. and he sent me to Africa. And now he's called us home. Yeah. I feel very emotional right now. I don't really know you. I mean, I've watched your Facebook uh, story about what you've been through, and I heard you preach one time. We share common ground as ministers of the gospel and as followers yes. of Jesus Christ. Um, but my heart really aches for you right now, and I mean that with all sincerity. And, and I got three questions right off the top of my head, and I don't know. Shoot. We probably don't, probably don't even have time to get all three of these in. <laughs> You know, my question is, how, how are you ministering now? How are you expressing that call? Or do you feel completely, you know, uh, bottled up? My second question is, how in the world are you making ends meet uh, without having meetings? And then how is your, your spiritual health? I mean, some of us, we seem to thrive when God is making it easy for us. At least it seems that way. Uh, but we struggle if it, if it, if he makes it hard for us or if he allows right. things to be hard. So how in the world are you expressing your call right now? Or are you not, how are you making ends meet and how are you doing spiritually? Well, uh, let me, let me try to address those in, in the order that you, that you asked them, you know, when, when this all initially happened, we, you know, we made that transition as a lot of others did from, you know, from in-person, services to trying to do things online. And that, you know, some churches use Zoom, some churches, you know, did Facebook Live on their Facebook page. Uh, one church up in Wisconsin, we pre-recorded the services. And so they broadcast them on their church website. So they didn't have to, you know, worry about Facebook's community standards. And, uh, and so when we started moving from from in-person services to virtual services uh, and trying to stay connected with congregations that way. I found that that was a, that, that was, that, that brought some challenges that, that just were not real attractive to me. So, and then, then I got sick. And so that, you know, that ended effectively us obviously traveling and ministering. So what I found guys is that, you know, God, brings people along your way that need to be ministered to. And, and I had a choice that I needed to make every day. And that was whether or not I was going to allow Christ to live through me or whether I was just going to honestly have a sucky attitude. And it's really easy just to have a sucky attitude. You know, why me? Why this? And it was a choice I made every day. And I began to realize that, you know, there were people that were in the, that are in the medical field that are dealing with COVID patients that, uh, for instance, and I'm not a big TV watcher, but 
But last night, you know, I had been holed up in this room. I'm, I'm staying at my mom's. She's got a two bedroom condo and we live in a, we live in a, in a motor coach full-time Barbie and I do. And, and it's got steps and a small shower. And right now those things are challenges to me and my condition. So, so we're here at least probably for the winter up in Northwest Indiana. So I'd been holed up in the room. They wanted me to come out and visit. So we were watching TV and, and, and there was an episode, I forget what the stupid show is, but anyway, medical show, Chicago med or something like that. And they were talking about COVID and they had a picture of a guy that was, you know, obviously, you know, acting, but he was, he was taking his last breaths and saying goodbye to his wife through an iPad. And brother, that I, I was, I was shocked how emotionally that hit me because I lived that. I didn't, didn't have to say goodbye, but for 28 days, you know, I was in isolation for 28 days. The only time I saw my wife was from a third story window and she would stand, you know, hundred yards out in the parking lot and wave. And, um, and bro, that was hard, man. Sure. And so, so, and I realized that it's not just hard on the patient. It's hard on the professional. Amen. You know, those nurses and doctors are dealing with that and, and yeah, they become hard, but it's because they've got to compartmentalize those things or they can't cope. And those people still need to be ministered to. And they still need to see the love of God exhibited in somebody. And so I realized a lot of times we take our, we derive our self-worth and we derive our effectiveness through the ministry that we do for him. Mm. So what do you do when he takes all that away and you can't do anything and you're absolutely powerless to change one degree of your life? I mean, brother, I was to the point where the next breath was a challenge. I'm, I'm honest, brother. I mean, just getting that next breath was a challenge. And as I laid there in that hospital bed, I realized, brother, if I can't be completely satisfied in Jesus Christ when I'm in this condition, then my service is not really about him. It's about yeah. me. That's right. And uh, so, so, I, so I endeavored to try to, you know, to try to reach out to people that God would bring into my life in the hospital room. Uh, you know, the, the, the doctors and nurses I had. You know, I had a, a number of good conversations with, you know, with some nurses and, and, uh, you know, I could, I could spend days discussing, you know, what the Lord has shown me, you know, in, in, in my life. And, you know, so you asked about, you know, asked about ministry. What was the second question, brother, if you remember? How in the world are you making ends meet? All right. So, <clears throat> you know, we live in a day when there are so many ways to politely beg for money. <laughs> that's true um, it is brother you know i mean everybody's got a gofundme page and yeah ah, just deliver me man that, that kind of stuff it's... just irks the daylights out of me yeah brother i have always been one that believed that god was going to take care of me yeah and let me let me I, I can quote the verse but i'll but i'll turn there because one of the things that COVID has left me with is the inability to remember things that I thought I had all figured out. While you're finding that your, your comment about ministering to the people there in the hospital and one-on-one and stuff, it reminds me of the other Philip, you know, who let, who, who left a revival ministering to lots of people to, to talk to one guy, the Ethiopian eunuch yes, sir. Uh, under the power of the spirit. And it's sometimes hard for us. We want, we want that big impact, but God's kingdom, you know, well, and, his strategy. And, and it is, it's, it's, you know, it's one person at a time yeah. and we do, we want that big impact. And, and we, you know, we like the, we like the glory of numbers and, and brother, you know, I preached, I have preached to, you know, large congregations. I preached to small congregations, brother. It's, you know, people are people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's found in Psalm 37, verse number 25. And David makes this statement. He said, I have been young and am now old yet. Have I not seen the righteous forsaken? nor his seed begging bread. Yeah. And, you know, you know, that's not to, that's not to do any disservice to Patrick. I, you know, I know what he's doing as a missionary. You know, my daughter and son-in-law did that. I, you know, that probably needs to be a discussion of your podcast sometime is how in the world we do missions and raising support. It's insanity. It just is, you know, spending hours in a car to drive somewhere, to, to, to speak at a Sunday school class or a Sunday morning service to get an offering with the hope of maybe getting some support and going on down the road and doing it again. And the money that's spent in fuel and motels and food, it's insanity. Amen. I don't know. I don't know that I can, <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother, I know. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've watched my kids do that. 
And, uh, you know, I don't know that, I don't know that we've, we've had a better, we've figured out a better way to do it, but, but, uh, but the way we, the way we're doing it's economically insane, but, you know, but that being said, you know, I'm, that's, that's no disservice to what you're doing, brother, but, but I just never, you know, I just never felt compelled to, to try to raise support. There's some churches that have taken us on, but brother, how God has met our needs through this has been nothing short of miraculous. I never said on Facebook, you know, please pray for us. If you can help us, I never did that. And, and still don't. I did. I did have a need when I, when I was, when I was going to be discharged from the hospital, one of the things that I needed to be able to continue my recovery at home was a unit called a BiPAP. It's like a CPAP, which is a constant positive air pressure, you know, a lot of people have them when they have sleep apnea, they snore. Mm-hmm. A BiPAP is a little more complicated than a CPAP. It's very similar, but it has a bi-level. So there's one pressure when you're inhaling, there's another pressure when you're exhaling. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a ventilator, but it's not invasive. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I needed one of those cause I'd been on one in the hospital almost the entire time I was there. I was on it full time for a lot of my stay in ICU. And then I was on it every night you know, you know, through the night I would sleep with a BiPAP. Well, you know, my insurance company wouldn't approve one because I didn't have sleep apnea and they weren't, you know, they weren't making exceptions for lung damage with COVID patients. And so I just mentioned, I said, listen, if y'all could pray that the Lord would provide one of these because I need one. I was home for two weeks before I went back into the hospital for two weeks, I was home for two weeks and I didn't have a BiPAP and, you know, when I sleep at night, I'm a mouth breather. And so the thing in my nose does me little good to get oxygen to my, you know, to the rest of my body. And so I'd wake up in the morning with a massive headache because I was hypoxic. Mm-hmm. And so somebody, somebody bought one and had it sent to, sent to my mom's house. And that was a, you know, I mean, we're talking, we're, you know, we're not talking something that's inexpensive. We're talking something that's a couple, that's a couple thousand dollars to, to purchase. Mm-hmm. That was the only time I'd ever said, Hey, I've got this need. And you know, that, I just wanted people to pray that the insurance company wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be as stupid as they were being, but right. the Lord provided it another way. And I'm grateful for that. So, but you know, I mean, brother, I got, I, we've gotten checks from people. We don't even know from churches we've never been to, you know, people have, you know, apparently heard about our need, heard about our situation and felt compelled to do something. And so the Lord has met every need that we've got. I've not been, I've not had a bill that I've been late on yet. And, you know, when, when I went in to see the doctor and I, I asked him about recovery and, you know, when I can consider getting back to doing what, you know, what God has called me to do, he said, you need to look at, you need to look down the road about six months. Well, brother, that's a long, six months, a long time. You know, I've already been, it's already been since August, you know, since the 4th of August. And, uh, and the Lord just pretty well made it clear to me that, he's going to take care of us. And I don't need to worry about the financial part. Cause you know, that's a burden that we carry brother. I mean, it's just a real, it's just a real thing. I wonder, okay, so how, how my bill is going to get paid? Cause you know, even though I'm not burning fuel in the motor coach, it's sitting in one spot. I still got, you know, I've still got expenses. Right. So the Lord has, the Lord has been very gracious. And, and I would just say this to, you know, anybody that is going through something where you have been sidelined and can't, you know, and can't provide for yourself. Uh, he hadn't run out on Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five on me yet. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'd whole lot rather trust that than than GoFundMe. Yeah. Do you but have I, a way? Do you have a way for people to donate online, like on your own? Do you have a, a website I've got a, of your I've, own? Or anything? I, I don't. I, I mean, I've got a website, and I there, there's I do, and there's probably a donate button there. I'm not I'm not a techie guy, so that website right. is so old and stale. <laughs> it's evangelistphilskipper.com, but I've got a PayPal and. I've got an address and, you know, if people have, you know, when people have asked, I've, you know, I've given that out, but, sure. but, uh, it's not something that I have done and said, Hey, you know, will you, will you, you know, can you please help us? Right. Cause the Lord, but, you know, I just, I just have, I just have left that to the Lord and I'm telling you, he's done a very good job. Right. And, and I didn't bring you on here for that, but I'm certainly, you know, thrilled, uh, to, to get that information out. I'll be honest with you. I'm just being totally transparent. I brought you on. Cause I was like, if I was a preacher and I hadn't preached since August 4th, because I didn't know that you had preached. I didn't know, you know, what you'd done or hadn't done really, right. but I think I'd go insane. You know, yeah. like, he well, probably needs to talk. And, and well, brother, and I'm, you know, at this point, I'm glad that I can talk and I can carry on a conversation without, 
without being tired out. You know, I mean, right. you know, honestly, two weeks ago at this point in the conversation, my answers would have been slower and my words would have been fewer. Yeah. And so I've made progress. It's painfully slow. And, and, you know, the burden's still there. And at times that burden's unbearable because, you know, you still got that outlet. Jeremiah said, you know, there's a fire shut up within my bones. Right. And uh, I still, I've still got that. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunities that I've had. I spoke to a, I spoke on a conference call to a bunch of pastors uh, Friday a week ago up in Michigan. And, you know, a lot of guys are wanting me to, you know, to, you know, when I get feeling better to come, you know, preach for them. And, and so I, you know, I'm not worried about, you know, filling the schedule. I, I have, I've done nothing for 21 yet at all. I haven't, cause I don't know where I'm going to be at, you know, yet, yeah. you know, by this time I'd have, you know, pretty much 21 all figured out, but I just, I haven't done that yet, but, but, uh, but the Lord's been faithful. So that's the answer of how I'm making it. What was the third question? Your spiritual, your spiritual health. Uh, <laughs> I, I received, uh, some questionable news from a doctor this week and I don't know where it's going. But, um, you know, when you, when you don't, sometimes when you don't know what's happening, that can be, uh, I don't know if it's worse, but it's different than you do know. And so I'm, I'm laying in bed thinking, am I afraid? I don't know if I'm afraid or not. You know, am I scared of what's happening? Uh, am I scared of dying? You know, some of these questions I don't even, I've never thought about before. And so I'm not even yeah. sure how to evaluate my own heart. Sure. Am I trusting the Lord? Am I, am I upset with him? You know, so I have to ask myself those questions. It definitely just this week has caused me to think about him more, not in some kind of bargaining deal. Uh, I don't believe in bargain with God anyway. Right. Uh, you know, I'll think about you more and you'll do something nice for me. That's not, I don't believe that's what it's been about. Just no. reality when there's pressure, you know, you look to the one who has strength. So that's how has it impacted you spiritually was my other question. Well, from a personal standpoint, brother Dave, I realize how vital the word was to my spiritual health. And, you know, when you're, when you're laying on your back in a hospital bed, you've got this, you know, mask that feels like you got an alien stuck to your face. You know, I got, I wear glasses and I, you know, I, I, you know, I have difficulty reading without them. So I could not wear them with a mask on. And, uh, and so reading my Bible was not something that, that I could do. It was not something that was, you know, that was even achievable. But during that, those 28 days of isolation, you know, my wife would call and we would talk. And even though I couldn't talk much, I could put the phone up to my ear and I'd just ask her to just start reading in the book of Psalms. And she would read, you know, Psalm Mm. after Psalm after Psalm. Mm. And then I, then, you know, that becomes difficult for both of us you know, because there's an emotional, that's just, it it takes an emotional toll on you. Yes. She doesn't know that she's going to see me again. And, you know, it's just, anyway, that was just a very difficult, very difficult time. And so I had her bring, I had, I got a Bluetooth speaker and I had her bring that and I've got, you know, U version on my phone and I would put, I would put the word on and just let it play. And, uh, I listened to the Bible several times through in that 28 day period. Wow. And, uh, you know, at the risk of sounding spooky. And I know you guys don't know me, you know, we, brother Dave, you and I've only met one time, but I'm not a, I'm not a spooky guy. I'm just not, I, spooky people bother me. I don't like being <laughs> in the same room with spooky people, but I also know this brother, that there are, there are beings that inhabit the darkness yeah. that are real. Yep. And the, the three of us would be lying if we, if we didn't admit that, in all three of our locations, even though we're in different rooms and in different parts of the country, we're not the only three beings that are in the rooms we're in. Yep. Right. And although that sounds spooky, that's just as real as the fact that, you know, today is the 12th of all uh, the, the 12th of November. So <clears throat> brother in the, in the dark, I, I hated, brother, I hated the hours, you know, from nine at night till six in the morning. You know, those three watches of the night were just excruciating. I hated to see those hours come, especially when I was really close to death's door because I would intentionally try to stay awake because I was afraid that if I went to sleep that I wouldn't wake up the next morning. And mm. I've never, you know, I've never been one that has ever struggled with anxiety ever. You know, that's, you know, that's something that, that other people deal with. I've never dealt with that. Well, that's been a part of my life now. Mm. 
and I'm experiencing a new, you know, some, some new emotions that, you know, that I never have struggled with before. And, uh, and I found the only thing brother that beat back those, you know, those beings and, and kept back the darkness was having the word just playing. I also realized the importance of music. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's not just entertainment, although it can be entertaining, but it's a, it is a powerful tool and, it needs to be applied with care that, you know, that again, that can lead to a whole nother discussion that, that that's not the subject of the podcast, but, but uh, brother there, you know, there, there, there is music that, that soothes the soul and, and calms the mind Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, when, when you listen to it brings a great deal of solace Amen. And so I, one of the other things that I realized, and, and this is something you might, we might want to explore a little bit. I realized that I can't receive what God has for me until I let go or release that to which I'm clinging currently. Yeah. And where he showed me that brother was in those, in those times when just the next breath was so difficult to get it almost get to the place where I would get a good breath and I'd, I'd, I'd not want to let that go because I wasn't guaranteed of another one. Right. And as weird as that sounds, brother, I'm just being, I'm you know, being honest with you. You don't want to let that go because the, 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 the getting of the next one was so difficult. And I realized, brother, there's a lot of things we hold on to that God has something a whole lot better for us. And he's trying to get us to let go of something. And, and we won't because, because we think, we think this is as good as it's going to get. And, uh, uh, you know, I learned, I learned in that time that there were some grudges and some hurts Mm. and some slights intentional and, and unintentional. I made, you know, when I got to the place where I could, where I could talk, I made some phone calls that I should have made years ago Wow! because at the end of the day, brother, it really doesn't matter. What their intention was doesn't matter. And how I perceived it doesn't matter. The fact that I'm hanging on to that and I won't let it go is keeping me from having something that God wants me to have and is preventing me from receiving something that God wants to give me. That's a whole lot better than that stupid grudge that I'm hanging on to. So I made, so I made some phone calls and, 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 you know, told some guys said, listen, this, this phone call has been a long, you know, been way too long in coming, but I want to ask you to forgive me for, you know, for holding a grudge or for, you know, whatever. And, uh, and, and bro, those, those things were helpful. And, and I found that, you know, you know, you're a pastor and, and, you know, sometimes brother, there can be some incredible conflicts between the pastor and the congregation between the shepherd and the sheep. And, uh, and I wished I hadn't been too big to, to say, I'm sorry or to say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't handle this right. You know, I, I grew, I, I was schooled in the, in the mindset that, you know, the thing that was always told us by the, by the pastor that was, you know, in this big church and, and at this Bible college was, you know, let your people know you have feet of clay, but never take your shoes off and show them. That's hor- <laughs> That's horrible advice. Right. That's horrible advice. Um, brother, you know, we're no different than they are. Yeah. You know, it's, it's weird being a sheep and a shepherd at all at the same time. Yeah. And that's just, you know, that's a, that's a dichotomy that's sometimes difficult to, to process. But so, so, I, you know, I learned the other thing, brothers, I learned the danger of isolation. You know, human beings are not made to be alone. In fact, God said in Genesis two eighteen, it's not good that man should be alone. Yep. And yet during that 28 days of isolation, the only time I had human contact was every four hours when somebody would come in and you know, take blood or poke me or prod me or do something, you know, bring me cold food. <laughs> and, and, uh, and brother, that was excruciating. I, I had no idea what that kind of isolation does to an individual. It messes with your head. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, you, you got people that, that right now are blocked away. And that's one of the things that this virus has done to us. It's isolated us. It's isolated us behind a mask. It's isolated us, you know, in our homes, and that's not a good thing, brother. No, um, it's, it's a danger. You know, we are made where we need fellowship and we need, we need that personal contact. And, uh, you know, then from a pastoral standpoint, you know, I, I learned some things because, 
I realize that in most hospital settings, you know, the, 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 the hospital chaplain, they, they kind of are relegated to a role of caring for the people that the doctor feels like, you know, is not all there or needs a little extra attention. And I realized, brother, a, a profound lesson, and that is that, you know, when, when I was in isolation and I, and I could have no visitors and they were treating my physical body, I realized you can't heal one aspect of a triune being and neglect the other two. Yeah. You can't. And so they're treating my physical body and yet my spirit is being neglected. I was trying the best I could to feed my spirit with the word and with music. But then there's my soul. That's my connection with people. That's my connection to this world. And, uh, and brother, no, you know, no visitors. And so, so I, I realized the importance of pastoral care at a hospital. And I'm not just talking about the, you know, the chaplain that, you know, has no clue what he is or who he is, <laughs> just wears, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and honestly, brother, in 60 days in the hospital, I had one pastoral visit from a hospital chaplain that was the stereotypical hospital chaplain was clueless. And I'm not trying to be unkind, but just, I mean, just honestly, clueless. And then there was, then there was one black woman and she, she had more God on her than some preachers that I know that called me from out of the nurse's station was out when I was in ICU and was isolated and waved at me through the window. Um, But, but, you know, other than that, there was, you know, there was nothing. And, and, you know, as a, as a pastor, I didn't, I never, never understood important hospital visits were. Um, And that's not something typically pastors enjoy doing, but that's where you connect with your members. And, uh, and it's not just going in and, you know, you know, saying a, saying a rote prayer and, you know, reading Psalm 23, you know, it's sometimes just sitting there and listening and just being there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd encourage any pastor that's listening to this and I know we're living in some very challenging times, but when they begin to open up hospitals for visitation, I'd encourage you to take a day and not just go visit your members. Go visit, go visit somebody else that's there and they might not want a visit, but they need one and just go in and say, Hey, is there anything I can do to help you? Can I, can I, can I pray with you? You know, do you have any, do you have any needs or burdens that I can, that I can help, you know, take to the Lord for you? Brother, because at the end of the day, you know, when, when the lights go off and they, and they run that three watches of the night from nine to six, they won't forget you've been there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I realize how, how important those things are. Um, so when they found out that I had COVID, a lot of people asked me, so, you know, what were you doing? Were you wearing a mask? Were you, you know, I, you know, I didn't wear a mask all the time. Um, there's a lot I could say about that. I still, I'm still not convinced that scientifically that helps at all. In fact, I, I know some things that, I've been told by the, by the doctors and the nurses that ministered to me about the effectiveness of a paper mask or a cloth mask. And if you think that's going to protect you, then, you know, you're going to put up a chain link fence and hope mosquitoes stay out of your yard. It's, it's, it's just about that effective. But that being said, I realized this brother, that there's no way to minister to people without there being some inherent risk. Right. And we can mitigate that risk the best that we can, but we can't eliminate it. Right. There's just no way to eliminate that risk. And the interesting thing, you know, we're talking with, with uh, Brother Patrick, who's a pre-field missionary going to the Gambia in Africa, and he's going to assume some risk going there. He's going to go to a third world country where the hospitals are different, the medical care is different. And the average American pastor and the average American church member has no problem with him doing that. Right. We expect him to do that. Yeah. But we're not willing to take any risk. And brother, you can't minister. There's no way to minister to people without taking some risk. Right. Without putting some things on the table in jeopardy. I mean, you can't minister to people without without risking getting hurt. And that happens all the time. And that's so many times why we draw back and draw into ourselves and we don't have contact with people is because we don't want to be hurt. And so when you, when we're talking about ministry, you know, there's just no way to do it without, without taking that inherent risk of being hurt. You know, there's missionaries that have taken the risk of losing their lives 
I'm trying to think of the guys that went to the, to the Aka Indians and, and ended up losing their lives. And, Nate and but they, you know, they were willing to do that for the sake of the gospel. They felt like their souls were important enough that they were willing to risk their life and, and their own personal safety yeah. to reach somebody with the gospel. And so, you know, people have well-meaning people have asked me, so why would God allow you to get sick after all you've done for him? And my answer has always been the same. Why not me? Yeah. I'm better equipped to handle this than some worldling is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I know that God can take care of me and yeah. I know that ultimately God can heal me if he wants to. But if he, you know, if he chooses to allow this to be my thorn in the flesh, then, you know, then my strength will be made perfect in weakness. Here's another thought that I had, brother. You know, some people say, well, that's just your cross to bear. Well, that's <laughs> not true because a cross is voluntary. I didn't volunteer for this. <laughs> you know, a cross is something that I take up willingly and that I bear voluntarily. And I didn't volunteer for this. <laughs> so this ain't my cross. I got it. I've got a cross that I'll bear, but this isn't it. This, this may be my thorn in the flesh yeah. and something that will, you know, that God will use to glorify himself to a greater, to a greater extent. And I don't know, I don't know how he can do that, but, yeah. but I know that he can. And, uh, you know, and in my family, brother, this is, you know, this has brought us closer. You know, I've, we've got five children and, and they live in all different parts of the country, but it's brought us closer as a family. And, uh, and it's, it's made, it's made my kids realize, I think that life is very brief and very uncertain. Yeah. And, you know, nobody expects a 58 year old guy to be at death's door, but there I was. Yeah. So, so, Patrick, I want to ask you a theological or doctrinal question. Um, in preparation for this podcast, uh, I looked at Psalm 103, where it says that God heals all our diseases. I looked at James 5, 14 and 15, that talks about if anybody is sick, you know, call for the elders of the church. They'll pray over them. You know, the sick person confesses their sins. They're anointed with oil. They'll be healed. Um, you know, we can talk about those passages of Scripture and, and wax eloquent in our sermons or write great songs about it. Um, how do we reconcile what Phil's going through with those kind of passages? And, you know, if I got coronavirus, the first thing I would do, of course, is, is run to the doctor and run to the hospital. And I think any of us, you know, would if, if, we're, if we're exhibiting symptoms that are pretty serious. How do we reconcile that with, for example, Second Chronicles 16.12? that says Asa got into trouble with the Lord because he sought to the physicians and not to the Lord. So, you know, we have these things that we deal with in the scripture, these doctrinal issues that you can talk abstract stuff all the, all the time. And it sounds really nice, but when you're dealing with the practical situation, how, how do we marry these things together? Well, I think it comes down to whether or not, um, we're putting our trust in God or whether we're putting our trust in the doctors. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with going to the doctors unless you're trusting the doctors more than you're trusting God. Right. right. I mean, God can work through the doctors. He can work through, uh, you know, the medical field, but if our, if our faith, if we're making an idol, I guess you would say out of, um, you know, the, the medical profession, and putting more faith in the medical profession than we are in uh, God, then that's become an idol. And that's where I think the problem lies from my right. perspective. Right. So in other, in other words, uh, there's nothing wrong with going to the doctor, but you go to the God, you go to God before, during, and after. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Including like everything else in life, including him in every aspect of our life. And that ultimately, you know, we're surrendered to him when our faith is in him, not in, in science. And boy, that's a thing these days, you know, we believe in science. We're following the science. God's more reliable than science. God's the inventor of science. So um, you touched on a little bit, but uh, I mean, your story is, it's really inspirational. It certainly has been for me listening to it. And um, a question that arose, and, I, and I, I'm wondering if maybe this has uh, come up in the minds of other folks who are listening to this podcast, um, is just wondering uh, on the controversial side of things, you know, what your, what was your 
take on the coronavirus, I guess I could say before all this happened, uh, you know, on maybe some of the controversial issues, you've got uh, mask wearing and lockdowns and, and all the kind of stuff that goes along with that, all the stuff that everybody's arguing about right now sure. versus, you know, you've been through it. You've, you've um, knocked on death's door because of it. Um, you know, what is your view on it now? You know, has it well, changed? Is it still the same? Is it? <laughs> Yeah, I, I was asked that by a good friend of mine who was running for a public office uh, in a in a county, several counties away from where we are currently at. And he wanted to know what my thoughts were. And I, I said this, my thoughts haven't changed on it at all. I think I, I think it's real. I mean, obviously, I've had it. So I know that it's real. But I also believe that it has been used as a cudgel by those that wanted to move forward their agenda you know, again, we could talk about a lot of things as far as our government and our economy, but there's only, there's only a couple of plausible reasons why someone or some group of people would want to shutter our economy. And what that ends up resulting in is the, it ends up in the loss of small business and it ends up pushing everybody to big retail. And then big retail is going to do what they have to do in order to continue to sell product and make money. And, you know, I mean, there's just so many different aspects and avenues of all this there, you know, again, it's being used as a cudgel. Uh, you know, I, I don't think masks are effective. I really don't. I, I think, I think maybe if, you know, if I'm wearing a mask and I've got the virus, it's going to prevent me from, you know, from spreading aerosol, you know, mist to somebody else. But but again, that's, you know, that's mitigating it. That's not eliminating it. Right. And, you know, I, I, I know when, when, when the, when the virus first arrived, I kept hearing something called herd immunity and I didn't understand the term until I did a little research, but that's the only thing that's going to, that's going to change how people respond to this virus is when enough people get it, that they like me have become now immune to it. They have antibodies <clears throat> and, and it, and it becomes something that just goes through the country. Yeah. And again, you can't do that without there being some, you know, some inherent death toll. I almost was one of those figures, yeah. but again, you know, people asked me, you know, you know, what would you do differently? And the answer is, I don't know that I could have done anything differently. And then they said, well, would you do it again? And I said, yes, for the sake of the gospel. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's provided me opportunities. I mean, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't enjoy those days when the darkness inhabited the room. And I had a figure that stood at the end of my bed for hours on end. And, and just, again, just weird. This, this sounds like weird third world conspiracy stuff, but I'm just telling you, I lived this. Right. But if somebody received Christ because of it, absolutely. I'd be less than what I ought to be as a believer. If I would not be willing to do that again. Mm. You, you mentioned in your in your script that you sent me that you know there are people that you know say if you got strong faith you you can escape you know all kind of trouble. You know people suffer because we are fallen beings living in a fallen world, and you know it's been said that God chooses His hardest battles for His best soldiers. I'm not claiming that I'm one of those, but I do think there's some merit to that statement. Um, you asked about, you know, when Jesus said in, you know, that he would come to heal all, all our diseases in Psalm 103 and, and talking about, you know, not having hardship. One of the things I think that happens, and I think well-meaning people do this, is they conflate time with eternity. And he will heal all our diseases and all our troubles, but that's with eternity in view. Yeah. Honestly, that's one of the blessings of death for a child of God. Is it is a release. Yeah. And so people get sick, brother, because we live in a fallen world and we're fallen beings. Yeah. But this ain't all we got. (laughs) It gets a whole lot better after this. That kind of leads me to uh, one follow up question is just we have uh, even folks in our congregation, um, you know, that that haven't been back that are are very fearful of this virus. what would you say to those folks that, uh, and obviously we have a country uh, with lots of folks that are still afraid of this virus. What would you, what would be your advice to them that are living and living with and dealing with such fear? The, the word of God says that he's not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. And so 
allowing fear to control our decisions is a very dangerous place to live because it's always going to be something, there's always going to be something else to fear. I mean, good heavens, man. I mean, it seems like every time we turn around, there's something else we find that causes cancer. Well, I can't, you know, I mean, I'm going to avoid the things that are obvious, but there are some things I can't avoid. And again, you have to look at, I have to look beyond the surface and say, okay, so what's the motivating factor for why they want everybody to live in fear? Well, you, you know, you start doing a little, a little bit of research in history, you know, masses of people were controlled by fear and they were motivated to allow things to go on right around them that were unbelievably wicked, but fear blinded them. You know, you know, the German people were fearful that their race was going to be diluted by the Jew. <laughs> and so Hitler, who himself was not even a German, <laughs> <laughs> was not a blonde, was not a blonde haired, blue eyed German convinced an entire nation and race of people that, that if they didn't do something for the, to these Jews that were going to come in and dilute their race, that they were going to become not the strong race that they were. Mm -hmm. And so brother, those Germans, when they brought the Jews by in the box cars and the Germans were in church, they would just sing a congregational hymn a little louder. So they didn't hear the screaming of the, the Jews as the rail cars went by. That was all done out of fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we see how fear motivates people to do irrational things. Yeah. And so, you know, people, the interesting thing is people aren't staying away from Walmart and they're yeah. not staying away from the grocery store and they're not staying away from the gas station, but they're staying away from church. Yeah. You're staying away from the wrong thing. Yeah. And if there's one, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I've been to church twice since I've been sick. I went the last two Sunday nights, went in late, left early. You know, right now I can't afford because of my condition to get any kind of a bug. Cause I'll wind right back up in the hospital and may not make it out this time. Right. So I'm trying to be very careful, but brother, I realized I need the fellowship of God's people. Brother, just sitting in the back of a service last Sunday of a church that was having a revival meeting and had, had an evangelist. You know, there were three evangelists in that room, and we always joke that when three evangelists are in the same service, two of them are unemployed. <laughs> but but uh, I sat in the back, and brother, it was just good to sing with a congregation yeah. and to lift up what voice I had and to be able to sing. And there was just something refreshing and something renewing about that. That, you know, and, and brother Dave, I, you know, I listened to your, you know, your, your, uh, podcast on online versus, I forget what the, out what of the line. war was but, online or out of line. Yeah. Out of line. And, and brother, you know, I've done the online thing and I'll be honest with you. It just, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't cutting it for me. It just mm -hmm. isn't, I, you know, I've, and I've, I've, you know, I, I've visited some churches that have dynamic pastors and they, and they've tried to make it sound, you know, thank you for joining our online campus. Well, it just, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's what I've got to limp along on right now. Right. But brother, there was no, I mean, and even though, even though the preaching at the service that I was at wasn't as good as some I've heard online, that wasn't the whole thing, man. It was being with God's people. It was just that interaction, even from a distance, just being able to wave or point a finger or, you know, a smile, which again, when we're wearing a mask, we don't even see that. There's just so many things about this that just are so concerning to me. Yeah. It's challenging to say the it least. It is. It is. Uh, I'm glad Patrick asked that because that's what I was going to wrap up with anyway, was that uh, God, I think you quoted it, uh, Phil, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love yes. and of sound mind. Uh, we think of the options as fear or faith, but in some ways I would like to submit that there's a, a third option. And that's foolishness. Yes. Some people are controlled by fear right now. And praise the Lord, some people are being controlled by faith. And there are also some people who are just being fools. Neither foolishness nor fear are of God, right? Right. So he's right. called us to be wise. He's called us to trust him. And he doesn't call everybody to take the same risks, right? You've got to look at the scriptures. You've got to listen to the Correct. spirit. You've got to listen to godly believers and see what God has called you to do. And he may call, uh, you know, somebody to walk right into the burning fiery furnace. He hasn't called all of us to walk into the burning fiery furnace, but we should be willing. That's the thing is, is we've got, that's that willingness. And, 
And I think there's a lot of people that, that they're just not willing, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're willing to serve God as long as there's no demands put on my life. Yeah. As long as I don't have to take any risk. Well, for, uh, for those who are listening, some of you do struggle with serious health needs already. Just know that no matter how limited you are, if you're still around, God still has a purpose for you. Serve him in whatever way you can, uh, as diligently as you possibly can. Don't let the devil beat you up with guilt because you yeah. can't do what you could do back when you were 25 with all of your strength. Don't let the devil beat you up, but don't use whatever limitations you have as an excuse for doing nothing or for getting bitter against God or anything like that. Embrace it in faith. Trust God. We're not of this world anyway. We're made for eternity. Once we see his face, we will be healthy forever. And yep. uh, that's sure. going to be a glorious thing. But until then, let's just serve God as best we can and cheerfully. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken yes, spirit drieth the bones. Yes, sir. That's still the truth, isn't it? Appreciate the opportunity. I really do. You're welcome. Praise the Lord. And thank you for being with us. And, and it just occurred to me, I hadn't thought about the fact that we have an Old Testament and New Testament uh, kind of uh, correlation or, or twin passage there. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. That's, you know, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So Absolutely. I, maybe those two kind of kind of go together. Sure. Well, uh, thank you guys, uh, Phil and Patrick, for spending time with me today. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to Grace or Grit. If this is your first podcast that you have ever listened to, please go back and listen to some other episodes. If you were blessed by what you heard, depending on what platform you are listening on, be sure you use the tools that are there, like, share, subscribe, comment, etc. Uh, that's the current way in our world of getting the word to go to more people. So do your part uh, if you can find the liberty and the spirit to do that. I pray for God's richest blessings on both of you men, on your families, certainly on your ministries, and of course on our listeners as well. By God's grace, let us love and serve the Lord faithfully each and every day in whatever ways that we can, whether we are healthy or weak.